With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh, six and it's done. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects and connecting with me now via Zoom. My co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Just hopped on a, a halftime out with Jared Dubin at five. Uh, back to be with you again at seven. Uh, normally, uh, <laughs> normally we don't spend two hours together in a day. We, I, we I, really don't. Welcome to all our live viewers, including uh, Aaron Wood, who said, Go Cavs from your biggest fan. I'm going to pretend that's about us and not about the Cavaliers. <laughs> he is the biggest Chase Down Pod fan. And then the absolute unit in the chat. Just said no, but I'm not as much interested in his matches as, as if is that a reference to the Markin and Mobley Allen lineup absolute unit or or are you just living living your truth? <laughs> Who's to say? Either way, if you just listen to the audio feed, you should come out and hang out with us on YouTube Live. Absolutely, and this episode is all about the listeners. We will be getting to our listener mailbag. I want to let people know as well, for those that are like myself and listen to podcasts on Android and have Spotify, Spotify now has podcast ratings, so give us a five-star review. You can send us a screenshot of your review uh, to chasedownpod at gmail.com if you want to get into our Discord. Uh, So we really do appreciate all of the support, but before we get into the listener mailbag, let's talk about the least fun thing in the world. We're going to nip this right in the bud, right off the start, and my hope is that we will not have to talk about this anymore because I don't plan on making this a part of our show, and obviously that's COVID. The Cavs had a game against the Atlanta Hawks postponed because they did not have enough players. I believe we are now up to eight players in health and safety protocols, and I think... Carter, I don't know about you. I, th- I think it's helpful just at the top of the show for us to just kind of address how we're going to handle this. I, I know for myself... Uh, This pandemic has taken a mental toll. Uh, For those watching on YouTube, you can probably see my grace. And one of the things I've done is try to focus on what I can and can't control and just put all my energy towards those things I can control. And I'm not going to sit here and kind of second guess what the the plan is uh, with the NBA, uh, the the way that they're handling COVID and whatnot. Uh, I've got my own reservations and whatnot, but I know that these decisions are complicated. I have to do this in my own work life. And I, I think for the simplicity of this podcast, and so that we're not just sitting here pretending that we know what we're talking about when it comes to something that is fluid and is always changing. I I think the best way for us to handle this is to basically treat it like an injury, even though it's far more complicated than that. Yeah. I just, again, to, to the larger point, we, we ain't here to, we ain't going to solve COVID on this podcast. Obviously, you know, we, we think folks should get vaxxed and boosted when they can and all that fun stuff. But, you know, I think from a content perspective, we ain't adding much to the discourse and beyond talking about the impact on the Cavaliers on the floor and yeah. a lot of impact, Justin, a lot, lot of impact. impact. If you're looking for more, uh, there are plenty of places where you can listen to smart people that know what they're talking about. When we talk draft, we bring on draft experts because we don't know what we're talking about there. We sure as hell don't know what we're talking about when it comes to a pandemic. Don't give and- away the Dr. Fauci review. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming on next week. Guys. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, like, and it's also one of these situations where I feel like this comes up in sports where we all are on the same page. Like nobody wants anybody to get sick. So when the answer is that kind of obvious, I feel like often what happens is everyone races to have the more extreme take to show how much they care. If you guys need to be convinced how much I care about this, like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't uh, know what to tell let's you. Let's just move on. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of. I'm not going to spend. Us, time. No, we're we're spending no more time. Executive decision. We're going. Let's Adam talk Boy. about Luke Cornett, starting center. <laughs> you know what? Now Jared Allen is the fourth tallest player on the team because Cornett is seven foot two. How about is that? He? He's not He's... seven foot. Oh, seven foot as well. No, seven. No, two. he is not seven two. According I've to watched reference. this man. 
I've watched this man play basketball in real life. He's seven two. Because <laughs> I watched absurd. him during his illustrious Chicago Bulls career at the there United you know. Center. That is actually stunning. Either way, Cavs are now down eight players yes. due to COVID. Uh, we can list them off. It is Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Dylan Windler, Denzel Valentine. Who else? I'm running out. Uh, RJ Nimhard. Davis. Pangos is not. I thought Pangos was. No, he is not. Lamar, oh I thought he was too, and I was wrong. Lamar Stevens. Um, uh, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. The Cavs right now are looking de- at, for tomorrow's game against Boston. Are looking, assuming no more positive cases, to have Darius Garland, Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, Lori Markinen, Taco Fall, Jetty Osmond, Dean Wade, Kevin Pangos, Justin Anderson, Luke Cornett. So it's going to be a tough one for yeah. for these guys. They are, they are about as shorthanded as it gets. I mean, the only way it could be worse is really to lose Darius, who is kind of, as we've mentioned, the straw that stirs the drink. But, uh, you know, it, it is going to be a, an uphill battle for the for these guys. Yeah, and the reality is a lot of these teams are going to be going through this. Um, I, I think the Cavs have benefited from some games where teams were shorthanded with COVID. Uh, the Milwaukee game stands out as an obvious one. Um, and there's going to be games where they lose. Like you, you look at the first or I, I guess both matchups against the Celtics. Uh, Love and Laurie were out for those games. Jared Allen missed the second of those games. Uh, Evan Mobley got banged up in the second of those games as well. So this is, once again, we're playing Boston, uh, severely shorthanded. They're missing some guys as well, just not to the same extent. Um, but this is reality, right? Like, And it's going to take some nuance when you're evaluating the season because there's going to be these weird stretches for every team where you have these replacement players. And I, I think the hope is you get through this worst wave where uh, the, this new variant that seems to spread, whether you're vaccinated or not, uh, you, you hope that with everybody being vaccinated that it's going to prevent uh, bad symptoms, uh, anyone getting seriously sick. Uh, hopefully they, they can test negative uh, quicker if they are vaccinated and boosted. But the teams are going to have to go through this. And yeah, I mean, it's and, unfortunate, and it but like, it, it's reality right now. And, and, you know, if it is going to happen, it's, you know, I guess if it's got to happen all at once right around Christmas when you're not playing a ton of games, you know, it's, it's about as it's about as advantageous as it's going to be. I do just got to ask. I mean, I know we're going to crack open the mailbag here in just a minute. But, like, what do you do if you're J.B. Bickerstaff? Like, what? What? who's your starting lineup? How much are you just playing the, the guys you added because you need them uh, versus playing some of your end-of-rotation guys, even though they might not always be perfect fits? Yeah, n- normally my my suggestion would be to try to maintain as much continuity as possible, keep the bench unit together if you can and whatnot. Although I, I think some of that goes out the window when you are missing Alan Mobley, Ed Davis, and, and so many guys at yeah. one position. Con- continuity is a is a funny word to use, but I mean to that end though, I do expect to see Ricky. I expect to see Darius start. I expect to see Dean Wade start, and I expect to see Laurie start because that's yeah. kind of been who's starting and now it's a matter of who is your starter i actually think this is a fascinating question is who's your starter at the two because jb has been so hesitant to start ricky mm-hmm. and to bring to break up the jetty ricky combo yeah and you in i mean to the point of starting lamar stevens who is very much not a two and- against against milwaukee but now his options if he doesn't do that are kevin pangos justin anderson and that's it yeah, and I actually like the decision to start Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade in that last game because if you're going to have those guys out there like eating minutes, the likelihood that you're going to be able to carry one of those lineups is probably higher if it's with the other starters, if it's with Darius Garland, if it's with, uh, I, I guess, Jared Allen when we had him and whatnot. Uh, obviously, that goes out the window when you're missing eight guys, uh, and I'll be interested to see what they do there. But I, So who I, starts at the two? I, I think you go Lamar again. I, I, I think Lam- Lamar is not available, my friend. Oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. Whew. It, it is Ricky, Jetty, Pangos, or Anderson. Oh my God. I I guess you have to go Ricky. I, I think you go Ricky and you sub him Jetty. out first. I, I, I think because they have started Ricky for some games at, at uh, a, a, a mm. Alongside when other guys were out, but 
I think. Oh, they started him over. They started him while Darius was hurt. That's it. (sighs) It, it's a it's a tricky question. I, I don't think there's real answers here. Like th- this is going to be a, uh, probably a game that's I, I don't know if there's going to be any takeaways from it. And that sucks from our perspective. Uh, it, as you mentioned, it's nice that this is happening when it is happening because there are so few games like especially with the Atlanta one being rescheduled. Next game isn't until Sunday against Toronto, who is missing half their team as well. Seven players went into protocols for them, including Van Vliet, Siakam, Gary Trent Jr., um Scotty Barney wonders if you just Barney just wonders if you start Anderson and Cornet. <laughs> I might is that the to. worst thing? Like uh, just like I mean I I mean like unless because like the thing is Pangos would make sense if Darius wasn't also super small. You know, mm-hmm. like that's like that you're you're really asking for it there. Um, you know, so like I, I just think you can probably do that and then your bench all of a sudden is exactly what it would be anyway. You yep. know, it's 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 Ricky, it's Jetty, is and uh, and Kevin. Yep, and they're and probably it, not running more than eight men. Here's the reality: there is no good answer. It's like trying to pick your favorite podcast host uh, out, out of the two of us. There are it's only super bad easy. options. There's oh, only sorry. there's only bad I gotta, options. I I, I I read the room wrong there. <laughs> but let's move on. Because, as I said, this is going to be tough to evaluate. I, I don't like the fact that you're once I'm again kinda, playing Boston shorthanded. I, I'm a little excited for it. Sometimes games that are, like, obviously, like, it's just fun to see guys you don't know, you know? Even if it's just one game. I actually am pretty sad. I, I mean, uh, I know you're trying to get us to the mailbag, but I am a little sad uh, for, uh, like, a guy like RJ Nimard, who, like, you know, has played pretty well when he's gotten minutes and is doing great in the G League for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of excited to see him get a shot. I was sad to see him on that list. I feel sad um, for almost everybody on there. Well, like yeah. not not just because they caught COVID, but because you have Dylan Windler who is finally getting an opportunity, and then he gets assassinated. And not only did he land on his head, he's got COVID. Lamar Stevens, COVID. Uh, Isaac Okoro finally having a really great five game stretch. COVID. Like it, it's. There's not a good time for it to happen, but I I, I feel bad because I I thought there was real opportunities for these guys to kind of go out and and make an impression and and maybe like earn their way into the rotation when this team is more healthy and and have a deeper rotation. So it's really unfortunate timing, but we do need to get to this mailbag, Carter. You let's do it. Let's get there. Let's get there. I intentionally picked this one first because I, I think it's fun. Corey asks, what's the most impressive win of the season so far? What What is your opinion for the most impressive win, Carter? Uh, can you go first? Because I haven't thought about it yet. <laughs> so my my answer, I, it, it took me some thought here, but I'm going to go with the win against the Mavericks. Not because I think the Mavericks are a great team or anything like that. Uh, in, in fact, beforehand, we, we were talking about how they are probably a little worse than their record. But to go, start a road trip... Uh, against a team like Dallas, who had Luca playing really, really well to survive that, like that punch from Luca hitting all those threes, I, I thought it was a really, really impressive win. And for me, I it was the turning point where I really started to buy into this team being a team that's in a good position to avoid the play-in if uh, things don't go completely sideways. But I, I think this team healthy as or as healthy as they're going to get this season is absolutely a team that can avoid the play-in. And the way that they handled Dallas with that kind of confidence and, and just really kind of taking away all hope, I thought it was the most impressive win of the year. But there, there's a lot of really good candidates here. Yeah, my, my most impressive win of the season, it's got to be the game against Toronto because... You know, I, I know that Toronto is not exactly a contender here, but like ultimately they're a team that presented a lot of specific problems for the Cavs. They are unbelievably good on the offensive boards, unbelievably good in transition, full of tall, lengthy uh, wings who get into passing lanes. And all that stuff happened against the Cavs. The Cavs had no business winning that game, but just through sheer force of will and grit and a Darius explosion, they they hung around and ended up stealing a win. And like I thought it was such an indicator for the season that we've ended up seeing from them, which is this is a team that doesn't get blown out. They mm-hmm. they fight their way to competitiveness no matter who's been on the floor. And I I, I thought I think that's the why it sticks out for me. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, that was a game that I, I think you and I were 
both convinced they were going to lose and the the fact that they found a way to pull it out like that's the impressive thing about the this Cavs defense is it keeps them in all these games like even when they played in Milwaukee uh the third game in four nights uh tough travel schedule and whatnot like the offense wasn't going um Milwaukee was really selling out taking Garland away and their defense kept them in that game so uh you know what's funny while I was looking at the schedule trying to find my favorite one of the season a lot of my favorite wins of the season are losses (laughs) games (laughs) games where they they were really really competitive even though they shouldn't have been or the the Utah one sticks out yeah the Utah Utah one one. oh my god they really challenged and made these teams work so hard. And those teams, you watched these elite teams and you're like, can you go away? <laughs> like, oh, this, so it's like, I mean, that, I guess, if anything tells you what a fun season it's been, it's that my brain went there. The the next question ties into this as well. Hunter asks what the favorite moment of the season is. And, and for me, it was versus Minnesota when Darius was just absolutely murdering them in the pick and roll. Just lob, lob, lob. Like every time there's a stretch where the opposition has no chance to take that play away, to take that bread and butter away from them, that is the most fun to me because it, it just shows like the the command that Darius has o- over what the defense is trying to do. Like he, he's manipulating them. He's creating opportunities for himself and others. Like to, to me, that is by far the, the most fun that I've had this season. Yeah, Mal in the chat just said the series of Cavalanches lately have been one of the highlights for the Cavs this decade, and I couldn't agree more. Oh, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna test the the uh, limits of uh, of our Cavs partnership by saying the Cavs gasm against the Kings when <laughs> <laughs> when they just would add, like literally everyone in the basketball world watched that that series that sequence that oh. clip. And was like, holy crap! That's that's like, a great that answer. That was a that was a war, you know, a twenty sixteen Warriors esque decimation. Yeah, that's um. And, that, and, I, I'm, yeah, I I agree with you. You know, I don't what? think I, I've I don't think I've been higher as a fan since th- they won the title. Yeah, as I was in that moment. So yeah, that's got to be the moment. To me. That made me feel like. Tw- 2009 like flying death machine when that team would just go on oh yeah yeah, and that is so much fun um mike asks if justin anderson's shot continues like it has in the g league uh for those that don't know he's not a good shooter for his career but in the first 11 games in the g league he's shooting 36.4 percent on seven attempts a night do we think there's a chance that the Cavs may end up keeping him and waving denzel valentine uh, sure. There's always a chance, you know, like there's a chance that these, that these people kind of make something of themselves on out of nowhere. I mean, Justin Anderson, he was a guy who we all kind of thought was going to be something, a, a great three and D wing coming out of, I believe. Yeah. He came out of Virginia. So he came out of the Tony Bennett system. We thought he was going to be a, a total lockdown guy coming out of school. And he kind of was just okay at defense and just an okay athlete. And the, and the three pointer never came around. I shoot, Shoots twenty nine percent for his career. Um, has never shot better than thirty three percent in a season, and now he is. Uh, what is he? Twenty eight. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's twenty eight. I would be surprised if the three pointer is real. I just, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Uh. But if it is, like you, you probably have a fringe NBA player, and you know that's kind of what that position and the rotation is. So maybe there's a chance. I would be surprised, but it. I wouldn't. You can never rule it out. I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. I, I don't think that exact sequence would happen. I, I think if, for whatever reason, things click and, and he's performing well in practice and whatnot, maybe he might get a the two-way spot over someone like Nemhard, right? Like where, where they kind of change up that uh, versus waving Denzel Valentine. I, I would not count on that. I, I, I don't know how much these guys are even going to play. Um, it's... I, I guess it's a fluid situation and anything can happen, but that specific order of operations, uh, waving, waving Denzel Valentine, I, I just don't really see that occurring, to be honest. And like, also, I, I, I know he's worth some, noting. He takes some wild shots, Denzel does, but he, for the most part, plays hard on defense. He's, he's a, been a, a very he's, solid 10th, 11th man. He He's given you what you'd want from there. Like, a, you have to kind of manage your expectations when it comes to that spot in the rotation. I, I, and I'll say this, if the Cavs did make like a three for one trade where they kind of cobbled together some salary, I think that's where like if anyone impresses them during this run where they're playing these kind of emergency players, 
that seems like the time when they would make an addition. Because the thing is, you don't really, unless someone's completely unguaranteed and you really like the person you're bringing in, like really like them, mm-hmm. the juice just isn't really worth the squeeze financially for like an 11th man. And Denzel doesn't have a small cap number. So I don't know. I just, I just, it seems very unlikely to me. Yeah. Uh, Adam Silver did come out today and say that there wasn't going to be a pause in the NBA season. There might end up being a pause in the G League season because all these guys, these poor teams are getting (laughs) ravaged (laughs) and not just by the NBA poaching players. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, cases there as well, because there seems to be all over the world. But I I am enjoying some of the names that are coming back up. CJ Miles back. in the I was so happy. Is CJ going to be playing tomorrow? Oh man, that's a great question. I I I'll, love CJ. I will. CJ's first, an first all-time time I'll be rooting. Cab. First time that I'll be rooting for a player playing against the Cavs to hit to 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 bury us. I love <laughs> CJ to bury us. My God. Oh God. yeah, yeah. That's awful. Uh, Pyrotechnic asks if Okoro progresses, keeps progressing on offense, and remains aggressive. What do you think Sexton's role would be, and or would we end up trading him? I would say that a trade has never been off the table, um, even independent of the injury, independent of Okoro. I think that when you're looking at your options with a restricted free agent, you you, you have a couple, right? You you can sign to a long-term deal, mm-hmm. which is obviously, I think, what Justin and I would prefer as it currently stands. You can let them walk, which is the dumbest thing you can do. Yep. Um, you can wait for someone to make an offer and just match it. Or you can have them sign the qualifying offer. And, and then the last one is a sign and trade or something of that nature. Now, I would rather the Cavs just sign Colin and find, and hope they hope they can find a good deal to make it work. Because uh, I, I believe Colin makes a, a real difference on this team if he's playing right now. Mm-hmm. But short of that, I think, I think waiting out the market is always a challenge with matching. Um, so like, and, and I think that if if you give me the choice between let Colin walk and sign and trade him for something, I'm gonna take the latter. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if they can't come to a come to terms on on a long term deal, I think a sign and trade makes a lot of sense. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I I don't know. What do you think? I don't yeah, I don't I, think Okoro has that much to do with it. I guess is my answer. Yeah, I, I think Okoro's play what it where it might come into play is if he really continues to blossom and that unit is just working so well and there isn't roster turnover, because I, I think that's an important factor. Like if in this off season, the Cavs add a small forward and, and the dynamic changes with Lowry's not there, if there's continuity and you're mostly bringing back the same core and Okoro works really well in it and he blossoms, I can see a scenario where Sexton's brought back gradually because think, what Darius Garland looked like as a rookie coming off his meniscus surgery, right? Like there is an adjustment period and you may not want to mess with something that's working. But what I would expect is you're still getting a lot of minutes off the bench. I I think this season has already shown players can get a ton of minutes off the bench and earn starters minutes on nights that they're playing really well. I, I would still expect him to be a major part of this team. I think you're correct in noting that a trade isn't really off the table for anybody. Like I, I, I think the only three that I would have tons of confidence in is Garland, Mobley, and Allen. But at the same time, I don't think a move is going to be done just to make a move or to save uh, a dollar or two here and there. Like I, I can't recall in like the last decade the Cavs losing a player that they wanted to keep because they couldn't pay them. Right? Like that's yeah, one of the not really their game. That's that's one of the really fortunate things about being a Cavs fan, and one of the things that maybe sometimes I take for granted. But you know, yeah, it, small, a lot of small markets lose dudes. A lot um, of small markets lose dudes, and that, that and Malcolm Brogdon much. would probably still be a buck in a in a different uh, under yeah. different ownership. So yeah, yeah I, I think that they'll they should prioritize getting them back and figuring it out later. That's yeah. that's really what I believe. Yeah, um, especially when you're still talking about young talent like. My philosophy is unless it's a home run, keep this group together. They're hardworking. They get along well. They're willing to sacrifice for one another, and they seem to prioritize winning. And I, I think Sexton is 100% a guy that prioritizes winning. So I would be trying to bring him back. But, uh, of course, you never know what the future holds. You, you never know what opportunities become available. So I, I think anything is possible. But I don't I, I don't think – I think you're right that I, I don't feel like – 
Okoro playing well changes the calculus on how you treat Colin Sexton or, or what role you're giving him. Yeah, I don't really think so either. Uh, I know this isn't really a mailbag question, but I, I uh, saw it in the chat and I want to answer it real quick. In the spirit of the episode, Stephen Bombay asked, how good is the Ricky Love-Osmond combo been? I hadn't checked the numbers on this yet. Have, have you? Uh, no. All right, what? Let's play the let's play the old guessing game. What's the net rating with that trio on the floor in their 187 minutes together? Plus 13. Plus 16.8. I I can see why JB is starting Lamar and trying to keep that unit together off the bench. My bed. word, that was better than I thought. What do you think it is with just Ru- Rubio and Osman? Oh man, um probably like plus 14 uh, i think well, plus 12 and a half huh? pretty dang go. good that's that's the thing like you can do almost any combination with the Cavs, and, and this speaks to how well they've played this season but 187 like, com- minutes is no trifling number you get like double digits like positive net ratings with so many combinations of players and, and that is just endlessly am- <laughs> endless amounts of fun um I, I do think that does tie into one of the questions that we received, which is how do the Cavs go about long-term uh, Reese asked us this long-term. How do the Cavs replace what love and Ruby are giving them? Because obviously uh, they are older than the rest of the core. Uh, when this team, like when Mobley is four years down the road, you, you can't count on these guys to still be here and given that kind of production. How do you go about replacing that Carter? So I I I think when we say long term, we should mean really long term. Um, okay. At least at the Rubio level, because I would love to sign him to a two three year extension if if I had my druthers. Let's go four years. Four years from uh, now, Carter. Oh, that's all. Okay. Where, oh, where do you see yourself yeah. in four years? So I think that it's a trick question. Actually, the the kids will replace their production because they won't be kids anymore four years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're really looking for there is just good supporting play around them. You yeah. don't need to. Ricky and Kevin fulfill such an important role in this team because they're the grownups in the room. Mm-hmm. And eventually the kids will be grownups in the room. And, you know, at that point, all you need to do is look for stylistic fits. Yeah. Um, you don't need to worry about know-how and, and reps and experience as much because these 21 and 22-year-olds will be 25, 26. Um, and now, obviously, it's still good to have that presence on the team, but, like, their specific production, I think, is relative. Well, I mean, I don't know about how relatively replaceable it is because they are actually producing really, really well. But you're just looking for high-performing role players at that point. Yeah, I, I think you're right to turn kind of the focus to how the young guys are playing because ultimately the answer to that question is going to depend on how they develop, right? Like if Mobley has changed and added to his game where he is more of a playmaker, where he's a, like a Marcus all Jokic, maybe not Jokic, but like Marcus all level high post creator that that's generating a lot of offense. And you have Darius out there generating a lot of offense. Maybe what you want from the backup guard position is a little bit more of a combo guard, someone that's going to provide some secondary playmaking, but that primary initiation is coming off of the, kind of the main pieces maybe you've added a playmaking wing that that changes maybe, the calculus there maybe right? isaac's like, maybe isaac's handle develops significantly in the next four years and he's that playmaking wing. there's just so many variables that again like i think like i'm not that's why i'm not really worried about like their specific style i'm worried about the because i think we all kind of agree that as, the, as good as they've been their value is very, very much extends beyond the the their box score contributions, right? right. Which and, is the the and, biggest and thing the stuff, for them right now, and, and that's the stuff I think will start to just even out as this team gets a little bit older. No, I completely agree, and it's all fluid, right? Like you're you're ultimately trying to get forty eight minutes of great basketball uh, with various different combinations and stuff like that, and, and it depends on how these guys grow. It depends how Sexton develops. It depends how Okoro develops. Uh, is Laurie still here? Like, there, there's so many different factors that can go into that. But I, I do think it is an interesting question. Uh, J. Cole asks, do you see Okoro coming back and picking up where he left off? Or do you think there will be an adjustment period? J. Cole's in the channel. Holy crap. <laughs> we got some A-listers. Um, I would imagine he's going to pick up where he left off because he did not have a physical, you know, uh, an injury that he's coming off of. Um, uh, you know, you 
I, I think uh, Fedor reported, you know, relatively mild symptoms for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, if he didn't, apologies. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that as long as no one's really sick, you know, which you know, fingers crossed that no one's really sick, and you know, these are some of the more mild uh, outcomes that you know tend to happen when you when you are vaccinated. Then, uh, no, I don't expect a, a drop off. I, I hope he kind of just hits the floor running. Like obviously, his timing was really unfortunate, but. You know, if nothing else, it's just more time for that hammy to get all the way healthy. Well, I guess we're doing some role reversal here because I, I'm going to go on the other side and say there's probably going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. Um, I, I think when you look at that five-game stretch that Okoro had, it was phenomenal. I think it was really encouraging. You want to see kind of those high-watermark performances. But I, I do think to some extent it's matchup dependent, right? Like I, I think when you go up against a, a Milwaukee or some of the tougher teams, he's going to have a tougher time um, because there are still limitations to his offensive game. And it depends on like who he's playing against. Um, Just, you know, confidence uh, after being off for a little while, getting the conditioning back. Like I I don't think it's going to be a massive adjustment period because it's different than him coming back from the hamstring and trying to like learn to regain that trust and whatnot. And we still don't know if there's other factors, right? Like, even if you have mild symptoms, sometimes players talk about having brain fog and other issues that linger for a while. Um, So I I would say I don't have tons of confidence that he's going to come back. uh, But I still do think the body of work that he had before that positive test factors in. I think that that's something he can build off of. Uh, We've seen Kevin Love and Laurie Markkinen come back uh, after being off with COVID and having symptoms and having issues come back and play well. So I I wouldn't rule it out, but I I don't have complete confidence that he's going to come back guns blazing. You heard it here, folks. Justin doesn't believe in Isaac (laughs) You know, quote me. Put it down in stone, Carter. I don't know. I'm sorry. Keep keep us going. All right. Next one. Friend of the podcast, Bron Jetty uh, from Brazil. He actually asked us oh, two our questions. Guy. You know, our guy. This guy, he thinks he's entitled to two questions, but I'm going to give them both anyways because you know what? They're interesting questions. What are the best and worst playoff matchups for the Cavs this year? Let's look at the current East standings when we're doing this. What do you think the best and worst matchups are for the Cavs, Carter? Worst matchup is Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I don't 100%. think it's close. Yep. Um, Giannis has mastered the art of putting, you know, people with length under the basket. He has mastered his physicality and his footwork, um, and is one of the few players Mobley doesn't have a length advantage on. Really. <laughs> yep. Um. So, uh, and then they can throw Drew, who is the perfect Darius defender, at him and and, and desync the offense, and then. On top of that, on the offensive end, while I think the Cavs can do a pretty good job putting up a wall, they have nothing for Chris Middleton, really. No. Um, who Who is an elite mid-range shot maker. Because the Cavs are really good at taking away easy shots right now. But, like, the that's oh, that's Middleton's value, is he makes hard shots and can do it at volume. So, I think they're the hardest by I'd a country I'd feel so much mile. better. I'd feel, oh, like, I... I Sorry to cut you off, but like I would feel a lot better in that matchup if they did have Sexton. Like I, I think the absence yeah, of a second creator uh really like I, I think that's the one team that really uh kind of can expose that, and especially in a playoff series. Like uh teams start making adjustments when you get to the playoffs. They, they don't do that in the regular season. Uh even a Mike Budenholzer team is capable of making an adjustment or two. And I, I think uh they are best suited to, to take away the Cavs bread and butter. So I think can, that's can, where can the I, experience and roster limitations would come in. Bef- before you pick your 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 best and uh or before you pick your worst and best, I do want I think we should set a ground rule. A best needs to be a bet among the top six seeds in the east just to challenge ourselves a little because yeah yeah i think uh the 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 charlotte hornets would be our best yeah sure but yeah let's challenge i I think there's interesting ones like there's boston who's going to maybe feel good if they get that 2-1 series lead and and get the tiebreaker after another asterisk win on wednesday if that's what ends up happening they 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 like to get confident and to be dragged back down to earth all right, so obviously uh, my worst... Who's, who's your worst? Is it Milwaukee? Yeah, I, I already agreed with you. Thanks for listening, oh, Carter. Okay. Good I could, I couldn't tell if you were just being a good co-host or if that was actually your pick. No, it's Gee 100% whiz. <laughs> it, It's 100% Milwaukee. I am going to... 
man, this isn't that bold of a take. Chicago Bulls, I think, are the the best matchup for the Cavs because I I think maybe this is a little bit of Cavs bias because I've seen playoff DeRozan so many times, but. I think that the Cavs, if they can disrupt what Chicago does offensively, like I I think Chicago's defense, even though it's been good this year, I think it's something that the Cavs would be able to score on it. If you're talking about these top six teams being Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, Brooklyn, Miami, and Philadelphia, like I I think I like the the matchup against Chicago. Uh, Philly, I guess it kind of depends on what happens with Ben Simmons and, and who they get in return for him. But I, I'm going to go Chicago. And maybe sure. that's because they're the other riser uh, along with the Cavs that they just don't have the track record that I believe in just yet. I went from being wholly unafraid to Chicago to just a little bit afraid. Uh, their point of attack defenders are awesome. And point of it, awesome point of attack defenders scare me against this Cavs team because of the over reliance on Darius as a creator. Yeah. Um, do I think the Cavs could win that series? Yes. Uh, can I can I say a, a thing that the Heat beat for our friends at the Heat be would hate? Oh God, give me Miami, man. Oh, I think Kyle looks old. He does. I I think. Uh, Okoro is about as good of a defender as you're going to get on Jemmy because of his physicality. Uh, and and the fact that they will have two enormous people to meet him at the rim where he does literally 95% of his damage. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, either either big, I feel very comfortable going up against Adebayo. Like, I don't think he's scoring in isolation against them, and I think their help defense around him will cut off his passing lanes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it would be an easy one. I actually, I, I think you're probably right that Chicago is among those teams, the one you'd want to face the most. If it wasn't for Spo, I might be more inclined to agree with you. Yeah, I think from a per- I think from a personnel standpoint, the Cavs would have a legitimate shot to beat Miami. And I know that's blasphemous. And I know if any non Cavs fan is occurred? listening, I oh. know any non I just think I just look at the matchups up and down. I go, I think they could do it. Now if Duncan Robinson snaps out of it and becomes an absolute dead eye again, I've, we're probably dead in the water. Um, because of the way you have to overcommit to the paint with the other ones mm-hmm. on the team, but like you know, I I would just rather play Miami than Milwaukee or Brooklyn for sure, right? Now, imagine telling us that this is where we're at as this 2021 comes to a close. That this is yeah. the way that we're talking about the Cavs. This is but the reality awesome. is, the answer is Philly because they're a little broken right now. Yeah, that's fair. You that know. is actually that's the that's the least sexy answer. And they, like, they've I don't also even pooped like their pick- pants. Like, uh, yeah. I, I think... Uh, yeah, I don't like picking the sixth seed with a negative point differential as our choice, though. So if, if I have to be risky among that top five, I, I would pick Miami. Gotta risk it, Carter. Jerkois asks, how far down could we fall at the end of the year and still be considered positive development? If we ended the season in the plan, would we be satisfied? My no. answer to this... My answer to this is it depends on context. Like, how did you get to the plan? Like, if COVID hits multiple times and you have losing streaks that get you to that 7-8 seed, like, that would be disappointing. But I, I, how disappointed I would be would be based off of how this team performed when healthy. I would still have disappointment that that's the way this season went. But I wouldn't have disappointment in the roster for that occurring right because it's factors outside their control whether it be COVID or injuries um but yeah i think my my expectations have shifted to the point where i want to avoid the play-in and i think that this team has a really good shot to win a first round series now uh you never know with the volatility that we're seeing with the NBA right now, uh, a really good team might fall down in the standings and all of a sudden become the cast first round matchup. So I, I think everything needs to have context when you have yet another weird season. That being said, yeah, it would be a little disappointing if they didn't get out of the first round or if they didn't avoid the plan. I think getting out of the first round is so dependent on who match they up. match up with. Like, like I know that Boston's had a weird year, but like if I if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown knock me out of the playoffs, I'm like, okay. Like they're older, frauds. they're more experienced. Frauds. They have made conference finals. They're frauds. Perhaps fraudulence. So. But they, that's a team that can shoot you out of a playoff series. To, to really clarify, fast. them as a team are fraudulent. Those two are legitimate. But once yes. again, shows that that is a team that is not better than the sum of their parts. 
Like no, they are oh not. God, they are, um, they are not. But, parts but we've again. seen in but we've seen in playoff series all the time where individual talent can just can just take you over over the mountain there. So, uh, you know, so I I'm not at the point where I'd say oh they have to win a playoff series for me to be happy. But if they fall into the plan, I think I'd be a little disappointed. But again, it's all context driven. Like, mm-hmm. it, but if this is the like if if the core of their team that we've seen get to 19 and 12 are are healthy then yeah i I think anything less than a six seed would be disappointing Mm -hmm. i i think that's absolutely fair uh billy 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 he asked the question carter do we think wade has earned permanent minutes in the rotation and the only reason why i'm 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 saying it that way with that tone is he is a beloved member of our discord and a dean wade believer over the last couple of years I think I'm he not sure he isn't Dean Wade. Uh, given, uh, I think Dean Wade would be uncomfortable with how much Billy loves Dean Wade. <laughs> if he is Dean Wade, come on the podcast, absolutely. Yeah, come but, on, brother. Yeah, why would you be just stalling for so long? But yeah, you know what? I I think he deserves uh, permanent minutes. I'd probably feel a little different if Sexton was still here because then I I would feel like okay, you can go nine deep pretty well, and all these guys deserve real minutes. But Dean Wade has shown versatility playing at the three or the four um, that that works within the context of this roster. And, and I, I think to alleviate some of the wear and tear on the body and deal with a, a long season, I would like to see Dean Wade get permanent minutes. I, I know it's a little tricky because this team is so heavy when it comes to bigs, but his ability to flex over at the three, I would like to see him at least get 10 minutes a night. Yeah, I think he, I just don't see why he wouldn't be at this point. You know, just like that 10 minutes of backup three. I, I think he's been better than Lamar uh, over the over the course of the season. Yep. Uh, and yeah, if the team's healthy, he should be in the rotation. I, I think yep. this is actually not a conversation. Uh, I, I, JB, I understand why JB's been rolling with eight, but I just, I every time I see eight plus, you know, seven minutes for the ninth guy, it just makes me antsy. I just worry about these guys burning out. So, yeah, I, I, don't worry I, I want it. a nine-man rotation. The one thing I, I'll add to there, because that has been a discussion point, is it'll be an eight-man rotation, but the high players are usually at, like, 32, 34. No, and like, it's not. I, and, would, and, I would love that to be the case. But and the and, and everyone's in and, that, like, 26 to 34 window, where even the reserves are playing a lot of minutes. I... I I think if you look at the box score, that's more often than not, that is the scenario card. I do not agree that it is more often than not the case. When they've been Gar- Garland is playing 34 minutes a game. Mobley is playing 30, 3.6, so basically 34. Yeah, but he, he's also had stretches where Laurie and Love were out, right? Like, I, I, yeah, I get it. It's just, it's just, I'm just going to be antsy about it when I see that 8 next, eight next to their name. Because the thing is... Here's why I'm antsy, if I'm being really honest. A lot of time it's in games where the Cavs won by 20. Yeah. And it's like, if the team made a comeback, then they got to go play 40. <laughs> like, we Fair saw enough. that in the Sacramento game. Where Look, like, this, this is why the podcast works. I, I'm the optimistic one. You're the antsy one. This is uh, the yin and yang of uh, how this works. Yeah, and works. I'm the one who considers context, and you just read you just read the box score. I understand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it tells me all uh, I'll ever need to, to know. I, I just... I don't even need to watch the games. Bron Jetty again. What one individual improvement would have the most impact on how far the Cavs can go this season? Would it be Garland reducing turnovers, offensive consistency from guys like Mobley or Coro? What would your pick be if you can make one individual improvement to one player on this roster, Carter? I I think it is Okoro being a 36% three-point shooter. I think that is fundamentally uh, on at least four attempts a game. I think that mm-hmm. is fundamentally affecting the team ceiling. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think the funny thing with Okoro, like he does so many things well. Like he makes the right pass. He's a good. Uh, he's good when he's attacking the basket and whatnot. And that three point shot would really open things up. For the interest of the podcast, I'm going to go a little different and say Mobley's offensive consistency because there was that stretch uh, highlighted with that Knicks game where he was 
so aggressive and he was hitting these shots and he was creating um, like jump shots for himself and he was creating opportunities for other guys. And if we could consistently get that kind of production from Mobley, that's that can kind of become the big playmaker at a higher volume that I think this team needs to be a little more dynamic offensively. You need someone that can kind of generate those opportunities because I think that more than Okoro hitting the threes makes it harder for teams to really sell out and take Darius away. I, I think if Mobley is creating those jump shots for himself, that opens up all these opportunities. If he's creating off the dribble and whatnot, I, I just think the the need of a big playmaker and someone that can provide that secondary initiation uh, from the front court is really, really needed with this roster. So I'm going to go with Mobley's offensive consistency. I consider that one as well. Mobley, Mobley's jumper continuing to develop and, and his scoring to continue to rise. But yeah, both good answers, I would say. TXON asks, is the biggest need for this team a true wing? If not, what is? I I think this kind of ties into what I was saying before. I think it's a big playmaker. Like, I, I just think someone from the front court that can generate offense and take some pressure off of Darius and give JB the tools to make this offense even more dynamic. Like I think when you look at what they did last season uh, with limited offensive personnel, just adding the guys that they added this year has made the offense more dynamic. So I, I think adding a big playmaker in the front court is absolutely the biggest need. Uh, I think it is more common to find those type of players. Like it's not super common to find them in general, but I think it's more common to find that at the small forward position than uh, the four or the five. So I, I think a big playmaking wing is absolutely the biggest need for this team moving forward. Although I, I don't necessarily think it's something that is going to hold them back this season. Like I, I yeah, think it might hold I, them back at the highest stakes, but yes, I don't think it's going to be the difference between them having a successful season or not. I, I think the growing pains are probably going to be more of a factor, like just dealing with the inexperience. I know it hasn't come up to a major degree to this point in the season, but I, I think that is going to be their undoing this year more so than needing a big playmaker, but I, I could be wrong. Uh, no, I, I agree. And like, you know, I'm even at the point where it's like, God, could you imagine a, a guy like Gordon Hayward, not a star by any means at this point in his career, but, um, you know, just a, a, a big, reliable connector that can run some pick and roll and and change the kind of the dynamics of, of your offense while also being a very fundamentally sound defender like that, that kind of player. And honestly, a guy like Hayward actually has a lot more appeal to me than even like a guy like Jeremy Grant, who is Agreed. probably a, a much more valued player. Uh, on most teams at this point in his career, especially given age and you know health concerns, I I, I want a guy who can run a pick and roll um, yeah. uh, at, at the three, and and the Cavs don't really have one right now. And uh, to that end, yeah, it, it's a there's a reason the league is dominated by so many threes who can run high pick and roll. It's because when you can when you have the height to see over the defense and the size uh, to to you know score in all the, the ways that. Be playing at that size can do like yeah it's a huge huge value add and it's a thing the cat it's one left like switch the Cavs can't flip they can play most styles but if you if you blitz the crap out of Darius with a really really good de- point of attack defender things get boggy yep totally agree and we may have shown our hand but the final question fear the sword contributor Corey Walsh asks if the Cavs end up being aggressive at the deadline who would you want them to trade for? And we we've touched on this a bunch of times. Like my philosophy is either big swing or a very, like a bunt, like just a Tory Craig type guy that kind of fills out the rotation. Yeah, Can we say aggressive means not bunting? Sure. If we want to define it as that, because I think we both would love a Tory Craig, but I don't think that's the spirit of the question. Yeah. Okay. Well, if they are going to be aggressive at the deadline, guys that I'd be interested in are big playmaking wings, whether that is Jalen Brown, if he hits the market, whether that's Brandon Ingram, whether that's someone else that I, I haven't thought of, like a, a playmaking wing that is under, let's say, 26, 26 or 27. Um, that is who I would have interest in, where, where you have some long-term control. Getting a playmaking wing is absolutely who I'd like to see them be does, aggressive. Does Harrison Barnes qualify as a playmaking wing? No. I don't think so either. 
No. Uh, Barnes would, like, I, I get the fit. Uh, uh, if he was a free agent, I, I would understand wanting to sign him and whatnot if he had the, the flexibility to do so. But does Dylan Brooks count as a big playmaking way? <laughs> I'm just not saying I don't think he is on the table anyway. Just curious what like who crosses the playmaking threshold for you? Yeah, I I don't know if Dylan Brooks, I guess that would count as being aggressive because he he, I think he's a pretty dynamic player, Um, obviously addresses the Canadian quota, which uh, we we really need to make sure that we're uh, keeping an eye on at all times. Um, It's dangerous right now. In Cavs Town for the Canadians. Yeah, uh, poor Pangos holding down the fork. But, so uh, alone. You know, Brooks, I, I think he would factor in. I, I, I think Brooks would actually make a, a big difference on this team, but obviously not a, a guy that I, I could foresee being available. Memphis is uh, doing pretty well, even though uh, some of their courtside fans disagree and think that they're better without John Morant. Well, I mean, I, I think the proof is in the pudding on that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just... To, to take that for data man just look look at the facts and figures no uh once again um looking at just wins and losses with young players and, and writing off young players that are fun and work hard i wouldn't recommend doing so carter no. do you got any better answers no you kind of you kind of ate, ate all the airspace there my friend uh As i, I just yeah there, that's the thing you know we said this during the draft about why we like Cade because it was like you know, big playmaking wing. It's like the dumbest, easy, like to pretend it's insightful to say a team would be helped by a big playmaking wing is, uh, is hardly like you, it's not rocket science. It yeah. It's good to have, be tall and be able to run a pick and roll. So, but, yeah, but also the, we, the difference is like, that is a helpful building block for all teams. The Cavs are in a different situation where I think they've crossed off most other spots that you would want uh, to build a complete roster. And that's just the the, the one remaining hole and kind of the, the one gap that you'd like to see them fill at some point. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just the most expensive one to fill um, yeah. probably in the entire league. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can get, uh, which is why I'm like not in a hurry to be aggressive if it doesn't mean someone of that caliber because it's like, you know, eventually I do think this team is going to need to, you know, use some of their firepower to to go get one of these guys. Yep. And so don't burn it on, on, on you know, fringe rotation players uh, that, you know, or, or like, or, or, or reliable rotation players who are your fifth man. Like, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Like, like keep your powder you dry. This make- team's good enough on their own. You have to be really, really careful on, on who you pull the trigger for because uh, you you may only get one or two opportunities to do so, um, and you do it on the wrong guy. You you add a Kristaps Porzingis, and that can really impact your team building. So, uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for submitting questions. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we will be off for the holidays. Returning, I, I think we'll be doing Monday and Wednesday next week. Hopefully, uh, the games that are currently scheduled do occur. Hopefully, we get some guys back. Uh, that guys test positive and, and will be back in the rotation. It's very fortunate that this happened in a stretch where there's not a lot of games. So uh, let's continue to knock on wood and, and hope that uh, this Cavs outbreak doesn't uh, spread worse than it has. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, click the notification bell so you can tell when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cavs.